All right, and we are back for another edition of Exploring Faith and Pursuing Grace. I am Lee Grant. This is Kevin Pendergrass. And I don't know if it's coming through over the air or not, but I am getting over a head cold, so I don't feel like I sound as good as I usually do. So if you guys hear me sneeze or cough, I beg your forgiveness ahead of time. Joining us tonight is a very special guest. He's someone that a member of our discussion board we have on Facebook introduced me to. Uh, Some of his videos were shared, and that is Brother Patrick Mead. Brother Patrick Mead is uh, one of the, I guess, founders, you would say, of Our Safe Harbor Church, which we will talk about momentarily. But the video that was introduced was part of a series that Patrick does called Who Told You About, in which he discusses various doctrines, various topics, all of which are extremely interesting, and they're available on YouTube. I strongly recommend that everyone check that out. Check out that that YouTube channel, Our Safe Harbor Church, and Who Told You About. But we're excited to have you on this evening, brother. We are thrilled that you agreed to come on and spend some time with us tonight, Patrick. Thank you so much. Well, it's an honor. I'm looking forward to this. I think it's going to be a lot of fun because we come from similar backgrounds. You know, Kevin, all of our listeners know, and most of our listeners come from a restoration movement background. Kevin comes from the more mainline churches of Christ. I come from the one cup churches of Christ as well. And you have a background in the restoration movement too, as well, don't you? I, I do. I, I come from the Taliban wing of the churches of Christ. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were two light bulbs away from being Amish. Um <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it, and and the people did that did everything because they thought this is what God wanted, but it was yes. incredibly destructive. I I lost one sister uh, to suicide, and another just slowly poisoned herself to death. Um, wow. Just because there was no reason to try, because you were never going to be okay. You're never going to yeah. make it. And and again, that's not a blanket indictment of the Churches of Christ. It, my father took what he had learned and ran well too far with it. So, yeah. But yes, I grew up in, um, in all of that. And so I understand that I understand the struggle. It's real. So whenever you grew up and you were coming up within the churches of Christ, where did you, um, worship? Where did you guys, where was your father introduced to it? I might ask. Well, uh, he was introduced to it actually, um, before I was born, maybe just even, right before I was born, uh, he evidently got uh, a few scares during the Korean War era. He was, uh, he'd actually never made it to Korea, but he did some, he was a naval aviator and such, and he got some scares. And his story, which sometimes changed, was um, <laughs> uh, that he yelled out, oh my God, and then realized he didn't have one. Uh, so he told my mom he was going to search for them, which terrified her because they'd never thought about it. Uh, he found what now we would call the Independent Christian Church, um, and he went all in, went to school at Cincinnati Bible Seminary, uh, graduated, and the first church he served fired him in six months. They said, "Oh wow!" Oh, they they said you are just too mean. You need to go find the anti-fiddle people, and he'd never heard of an anti-fiddle people, but he found them in Nashville, um, and he. Um, he far outpaced those he found in Nashville in time. So I grew up everywhere. Um, my father did not get along with people for long. Um, and so to live somewhere two years was quite uh, a feat. We were yeah. always on the move. Um, and that's um, so I always tell people I'm not from anywhere. Uh, I, I know where I'm going, but 
I'm not exactly sure where I've been. <laughs> You're like Johnny Cash. You've been everywhere, man. Yo, if I could memorize that song, I would sing that song. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, that just hearing about your father's history and being a, um, I guess, and I, I don't mean to be insulting at all, but I, I guess kind of a surly individual that, that does resonate with me because I have known and been acquainted with some people that were incredibly sincere, very, very sincere in, in what they believed to be truth and in what they believed God wanted them to do in the promotion of that truth. And they, you know, tended to follow a similar path to your father's. And you came up much the same way Kevin and I did. What was the tipping point that began to lead you away from that legalistic paradigm? Well, uh, and I, I appreciate the way you phrase that, Lee, because my dad, uh, he passed away a couple of years ago and he is in heaven. I, I don't think he liked it the first month or two, but he's in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm, and, and I'm, I'm looking, you know, we, we, we have all made tremendous errors and we will all die with tremendous errors, mm -hmm. which is why we have Jesus. So, um, and now the next thing you need to know is that I'm a stunning hypocrite because most of my journey took place underwater, not letting anybody know because it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't safe to stick your head up above the parapet. Um, it all started with dancing, frankly. Uh, I remember another one of the really? oh yeah, all another sermon against dancing. Um, we had many, and against Christmas and against you know clapping or oh, yeah. uh, but this is on and and I remember one of the the old kids because I was like nine or ten, one of the old kids. He's probably fourteen, you know, about ready for the nursing home, and he was saying <laughs> he was saying I don't believe lasciviousness means dancing. I I think that's wrong because that was a whole thing. Lascivious means dancing. So uh, I went to my father's library, which I read most of the things in his church library over the years, and grabbed out the word study books. I was just going to prove it to him, and it didn't mean dancing. And that kind of rocked my world a little bit. Uh, my father wanted me to read, and, and I love reading. I still read two or three books a week and have since I was a boy. So I, I'd go into his library and read, and that's where it really began to fall apart, because I remember reading a quotation. I was thinking, well, that settles it. You know, that just nails it. So I'd go find that book. And then I'd read that guy and he's quoting the other guy. And I realized after a while, it was an incestuous group that quoted yeah. each other. And there was no original research or, or source. And uh, as a kid, I've always been, I've always been scientifically minded. Uh, I left home when I was 16, went to university um, all the time going to church, even speaking, but one had to, I, what else was, what, what, you know, I had no other idea how to survive people that have never been in a cult like environment. Don't understand that you can't just leave the cult. It, yeah, it, yeah. Um, there, there are just too many chains on you. So, um, there I went, um, I, um, really became an agnostic, which is basically an atheist with no guts, but I, <laughs> uh, I was dying inside. I was absolutely. Now, what, what year are we talking about here, Patrick? Um, by this time, I was in my um, mid 20s and I'd okay. returned to Scotland and I was even working for a church. And while I was going, you know, getting my other degrees and just really struggling. Um, and I can remember, I, I'm constitutionally unable to walk past a bookshop. 
So I was in Inverness in the Highlands of Scotland, walked by a used bookstop uh, store rather and walked in and uh, bought for some reason, and I know it's a God thing, spent 50 pence on Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And the book actually came apart within a week because I was going back and forth and cross-referencing and such. And it blew my mind. And I can remember that plus science drove me back to God. Uh, in science, I worked in neuroscience, still do. And um, explosions don't do this. I mean, I knew the standard story. You know, once upon a time, there was nothing. Then it blew up. And now we have pandas. Uh, <laughs> I skipped a couple of steps there. Um, but explosions don't do what I saw. And so there had to be some, pro I, I understand the process. I don't, I don't die on any particular creation hill, but there had to be a guiding wisdom through this somehow. Yes. And so um, I made a deal with God, um, which you can do, by the way. I've read the Old Testament. They did it all the time. <laughs> uh, and Jacob wrestled with God. I've got season tickets. I do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but, if, but if he's God, he's big enough for the questions. Yeah. If he's God, he's big enough for you to get mad at him and yell at him every so often and not destroy you because he's God and he understands that we are children and living in the dark. So uh, I still do it. I'm very, very open about wrestling with different aspects of scripture and, uh, and what God does and what he doesn't do. Uh, I'm very comfortable well, shrugging. You know, well, you're uh, in good. You're in good company, brother, because that's what we do every single episode: is wrestle and change, change again, wrestle some more, realize we don't know anything, and just keep struggling and putting our trust in Jesus. Uh, yeah, and that's really where I've come to. Is to me, I used to believe that the Bible was basically an avatar for God. It, it yeah. was God. Um, yeah. I don't believe that anymore. I believe that the Bible is a book that introduces us to God. The Old Testament is an argument about God, and Jesus settles the argument. Um, and I don't believe, you know, I grew up knowing a lot more about Paul than Jesus. Uh, yeah. In fact, you know, Paul yeah. explained away everything Jesus said. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and by the way, Paul's up there in heaven screaming, no, I didn't. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm just, this is the way it's presented. And so all we do, um, you know, I, I founded this church with um, a group of friends a year ago. Uh, and all we do is Jesus, love and kindness. And it's in 18 countries now. Um, we, um, you know, for example, Sunday, I noticed 56 cities in Texas were, were listening. Wow. And that's just one state that was brought up. But um, we refuse to put money in the ground. Uh, we're not building a building. We are not um, going to be all things to all people and have all these programs. It is, um, we're going to talk about Jesus, run lean, and any extra dollar we get goes to the poor, uh, or goes to someone to help. And it's amazing. You know, if you just talk about Jesus, the good things happen. It's incredible how that works. It's yeah. so simple and yet so profound in our day and age for such a simple approach to be that effective. And really with the trends, if you, if you believe the statistics and I don't see any reason not to, if you believe the statistics that are put out by the Barner group on a fairly regular basis, things are on the decline in what Kevin has referred to as corporate religion or, or a, uh, what, what, what's the term you use, dude? 
Oh goodness. Um, I've, I use a lot of different terms for it. You mean to use like the PG term or like, what, which... <laughs> well, well no, I, know you... I, no, I, I call it institutionalized. That's I it. it. Institutionalized, institutionalized. man. Yeah. I went completely blank on that, but you know, that is on the decline. And I think that the growth that you guys have had with our safe Harbor church really speaks to the fact that millennials and the younger generations, they're not leaving God behind because they have no desire to have anything to do with God. It's because they see the issues that arise within institutionalized religion and getting back to the basics, kindness, love, and Jesus. That's a message that resonates with everybody. I mean, even if someone is a stone cold atheist, I don't know of any, and I know several atheists, I don't know any of them that would argue against what Jesus taught, even if they don't believe that he's the son of God, believing in loving unconditionally, treating others the way you want to be treated, and even loving your enemies. There's no doubt that if we were to all put those principles into practice, the world would be a better place. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, it is said that Gandhi said this, by the way, he didn't. I traced it back and he didn't, but I still love it. He's, you, you'll find it all over that says that um, he, he loves the idea of Christianity. It's a shame nobody's tried it. <laughs> there are, there's a lot of truth to that fake quote uh, that I, and I, and many days I've, I look back at my day and I didn't try it. So I'm not here throwing rocks at anybody. Uh, I cannot afford to do that. I'm a man of sin. And yes. therefore, therefore I need a savior and oh, there's one. So I'm, I'm going to talk about that one. Well, and Kevin and I, we like to say, well, at least I like to say that anytime, and I've pointed plenty of fingers in my day, and it took me a long time to realize that I had three pointing back at me whenever I pointed my finger at anybody else. And it's, it's so freeing to know that my salvation and my soul rests in Jesus, that it's in his hands and not in my own, not in my own knowledge, not in my own ability to parse truth, whatever that truth may be, that if I put my full faith and my full trust in Christ and lean on him, that it's going to be okay there in the end. Um, I was wanting to ask as a follow-up, um, you mentioned our Safe Harbor Church, you mentioned the growth that you guys have had. What were the things that that led you to want to start our Safe Harbor? Oh, I, I didn't. Um, and so you, you may not know about this. Uh, for uh, seven plus years, almost eight years, I served the Fourth Avenue Church of Christ there in um, Franklin, Tennessee, where that's where Kevin would have come across me at first because I hired a female preaching intern. Um, and things were going very well. Of course, COVID hit a lot of things tough. Some of my elders fell under the sway of a messianic rabbi's teaching called uh, Jonathan Kahn. Uh, they started thinking about prophecies and in time, I tried to push back. They even uh, then hosted a day-long prayer simulcast on Washington where Jonathan Kahn and um, right-wing politicians all prayed for the re-election of Donald Trump. And um, they, there was even a prayer thanking God for the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg so that Trump could put oh. him on Yeah. Uh, and, and when Jonathan Kahn was reading a letter from Trump supporting his prayer rally, and, uh, and by the way, I don't care if you voted for Trump. That's not the issue. Um, there, is, there was thunder, and he goes, oh, and he held up the letter, and he goes, the Trump of God has sounded. And I went, and now blasphemy. 
And so I stood up the next day to start a series on Revelation. And I said, this isn't about the end of days because the end of days will be whenever God wants it. It's not right now. You're not that special. And I was fired within three weeks. Well, uh, yeah. Okay. I was, I was, the legs were cut out from under me just about a month before I turned 64. After having brought the church from 300 up to, you know, many times that, um, well, not many times, but much larger. Uh, and then, and right during COVID, they fired me thinking, well, that'll be great. They're really struggling and my heart breaks for them because they've, they've lost membership. I don't know how they're going to stay afloat. I was just going to go back to academia. Um, I had offers to you know, chair the department or be a dean over here, the like. Um, I was uh, shattered. I was brokenhearted. And a bunch of friends started calling the same day. They started showing up at the house. People started bringing me money. I couldn't sign. They, they had this very tiny uh, separation uh, agreement, severance package. But I had to sign it. And it was a whole lot of things I couldn't do. Cammie and I just said, no, we can't sign. Yeah, and so I started putting everything up for sale. So did she, my guitars, the house, everything. And people started showing up at our house and saying, no, let us give you some salary. We'll pay for your insurance. We want you, you know, we've been listening to you for 30 years online, one place or another. We don't want you to go away, start an online church. And I said, that'll never work. Uh, I'm not a man of great faith. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we grew up in the churches of Christ. Faith wasn't needed. We had certainty. That, that's right. Good point. And I and so I said, I it won't. Work. And finally, they said, we will pay you for these. I forget what it was, four or five months. And I was thinking, well, as soon as COVID goes away, uh, this will all go away because people just go back to their churches. And I was wrong on every step. Uh, we started and um, at the first of December. We're about to have our birthday. And on average now, we have about 3,000 views, sometimes much more, every week. Uh, and every state except uh, North Dakota, not really sure what's wrong with them, but they can't be saved, evidently. <laughs> and 18 countries. Now, these are only the ones we know about because you have to check in for us to know where you are. So we don't know where the other people are. And like your friend, uh, a lot of people take the videos and then they use them elsewhere which is completely fine. We refuse to copyright anything we do. Mm -hmm. The soundstage where we are is donated by uh, a member of our church. It's part, and he built it. Um, he was a designer for Disney and he built Main Street USA in his basement. It's a oh, two story. Wow. It's a two story basement. Really? It is. You need to watch the video. Um, just any of our videos that are at the soundstage and realize it, I, it has a Starbucks. It has an ice cream parlor. It has meeting rooms. It has two theaters. It's just insane. And not only did he give it to us and keys to his house to go in and work anytime, uh, we never pay a penny for utilities because it's entirely solar powered. Nice. And in fact, the government writes him a check every month. That's awesome. So we're putting zero money in the ground. Everything is very lean and, um, oh, it's a lot of fun. And again, I never thought it would work. And and now that people are saying, you know, people are going back to churches, as you said, uh, Lee, no, they're not. Uh, they are forming clusters. We have clusters, groups of people meeting to watch together. Or uh, some of them is temporary. Uh, we had uh, we had somebody last week say, well, you know, we, we'd listen to Patrick's sermons, but only because we can't afford a minister right now. I'm going, that's fine. 
and every worship we have videos. Uh, somebody is a greeting, you know, from Wisconsin, and then somebody's reading the scripture from Vancouver Island, Canada, and then they're leading us in communion from Australia or Florida. Every service we have uh, two or three videos that weave in, and it's just it's fun. It's a awesome. it's a real fellowship. So anyway, that sounds awesome. I, that's how I got there. It was reluctantly. I was kicked out. Um, I was thrown into the dumpster. And God said, no, I wasn't throwing, you weren't getting thrown in a dumpster. I was just getting you out of there to do something I want you to do. So <laughs> that's incredible. Well, well, go ahead, Kevin. Uh, well, I was just going to say, uh, Patrick, that's one thing that I have learned over the past several years is that church, uh, the called out should be about community. And I know I never really had community. I went to quote unquote church all my life. I had a couple of friends, of course, and I would like to think of more than a couple. But, you know, I had my own little friends and groups and things of that nature. But as far as uh, quote unquote going to worship, there wasn't much community there. And when I started attending a congregation where they had small groups, all the small groups said, well, how come church can't be more like this? And it, it just made me realize that that is what church is. It's coming together. It's community. And, and I, I'm not faulting the institutionalized version. I think that we are people of culture. And, you know, when we look at how church, quote unquote, has been done throughout the ages, it typically has fit with each culture, with you know, each model has has adapted and changed. And I think we're in the process of changing right now um, where that where that model's leading culturally. But, you know, there are so many different things I think that we could discuss and talk about. In fact, uh, hopefully you'll be one of our guests in the future because we would love to have you back on to talk about all sorts of different things. But in this specific episode, Lee and I wanted to have you on to talk about uh, elders because Lee, Lee and I have both talked about this because growing up in the Churches of Christ, at least in the mainstream churches of Christ, we usually had elderships, but it was very difficult in getting people to agree, first and foremost, on those qualifications found in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. And there was almost always disagreement on what those qualifications were. And Lee, I know we have talked about this quite a bit because from many of the conversations we've had, a lot of the one cup congregations don't even have elders because they don't believe there's anybody qualified to meet that list based upon how they define it. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I know of offhand, I know of two different congregations that that I know for a fact had divisions that occurred over disagreements over whether or not a, a candidate for the eldership was qualified or not, because they couldn't agree on what faithful children meant, or they couldn't agree on what the husband of one wife meant, whatever the case is, they, they couldn't agree on what those terms were. And I know within the mainstream churches of Christ, my understanding is, is that the majority of the churches, and, and I may be wrong about this, always reserve the right to be wrong as you're fond of saying, Kevin, but from my understanding, the mainstream churches of Christ tend to have more elderships than they don't. But within the one cup churches of Christ, it's completely different. If you have a, a congregation that has an eldership or, or if, if you have men that are qualified, qualified, I say that in quotes, to serve as elders, they are a rarity. Most congregations are what would be referred to as um, scripturally unorganized in that they don't have an eldership serving over it. And there's a lot of 
a, a lot of question. I want to say a, there's a definitely a lack of certainty or consensus. That's the word I'm looking for as to what those terms mean. And brother Patrick, you had done a series or you do a series on your YouTube channel called who told you about with an ellipsis there. And you've covered such topics as who told you about dancing, who told you about musical instruments and in worship, who told you about what God wants in worship. And I love that series. I encourage all of our listeners to check that out. We'll have links to that series in our show notes to your YouTube channel. Um, but you had done one on elderships, which is what prompted me to reach out to you. It was a, a two-part video. And I, I thought this would be a great discussion to have with you because at this point, I'm like, is is the is an eldership even an office that should be that we should pursue? Is you know this whole idea or concept of an eldership being this governance or office thing? Is that even something that is on the radar? Is that even on God's radar? Is that something we should be pursuing, or is there something else in mind there? So yeah, it, and there's well, so many and, different directions we could go. And we had uh, Dr. Linda King on, who uh, was a uh, shepherd elder at a at a congregation um, that I that I attend and uh, attended. I'm still kind of a distant member there. Um, it's it's a little over an hour drive, so it's difficult. So um, it's it's one of those things where when people hear we have female elders, even they'll say, "Oh, well." Bible's pretty clear, the qualifications. And I was actually having this conversation with my mom and dad, um, who we we are in full fellowship. My mom and dad are fantastic people, but they oftentimes just ask questions and we have really good conversation. And I said, well, I said, there's no doubt we can go to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and see that Paul lays forth a list of qualifications when he's writing to Timothy and when he's writing to Titus. I said, but the question is, was that list meant to be invariably definitive, uh, definitive? Was it meant to be for all churches at that time? Was it meant to only be for some churches at that time? Was it meant to be for all churches everywhere? And this gets back to something that you brought up at the beginning of the episode, and that is we get to the point of worshiping the Bible so much as this static book, is this static set of rules that first and foremost, we tend to not even realize our own inconsistency with it because I just brought up several examples. I said, well, the Bible also says in James 5, that if there's anybody sick among you, then you need to call for the elders and anoint them with oil. I said, how many churches are doing that today? And of course, there's there's you know dozens of examples just in the New Testament we could point to of uh, of imperatives of commands that we're not following, and we would write it off as well that was situational or that was cultural or that was during that time. But then we go to passages such as the qualifications of elders and say, oh no 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 no, this is for every church for all time. And there's no exception. And this list is so easy to follow that no two Christians can even figure out what it means. <laughs> well, in, in fact, uh, the, the people that say, well, the Bible is very plain. And I grew up being told that if you followed the Bible, you'd end up with the New Testament church. <laughs> well, see, the problem is that's backwards because it was the church that gave us the Bible, not the Bible that gave us the church. And when the guys met together to decide which books were in, not a, I've seen the paintings. Uh, they didn't have pictures, but I've seen the paintings. <laughs> not not one of us would have fellowshipped any of those people sitting there in their robes and pointy hats. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know that's a, a big deal. Uh, let's 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 do many streams into one one river here. Um, the the list we would always combine the list, treat them as if they were one, but they are internally inconsistent. 
Paul liked Timothy. He sent him to places where things were nice, like Ephesus, after the riots were all passed. And like Titus, I think he liked him too, but Titus was a gunslinger. He would send him to the rough places like Crete. And so Paul even talked about that and said, all Cretans, you've heard it said that all Cretans are liars and gluttons. And he said, and such they are. And I'm going, wait, Paul. <laughs> you can't say they all are. <laughs> We're toddlers. They haven't learned to lie yet. You know, what's what's going on? Well, uh, so for Timothy's list, uh, an elder must have believing children. Uh, in Titus's list, it was uh, an elder's children must not be accused of riot. Well, there's a little, there's a little air between those two standards which shows me that the Bible itself shows that what makes an elder in one place won't make an elder in another. And that sometimes you can't get, uh, as the great uh, theologian Mick Jagger said, you can't always get what you want. <laughs> um, they, so, uh, well, he's got the moose like Jagger too. Well, yeah, I, I, I won't do that because, you know, we are, uh, we are dignified beings. Um, but you talked about, um, you brought up Kevin, culture. And that's really where I want to start with the restoration movement is that it was founded by a lot of Scottish and Irish folk. And I'd like to apologize for all of us for, for <laughs> of what happened. You know, Alexander Campbell, um, they were Scots from Northern Ireland. And a lot of people don't really get this. If your mother's Scottish and your dad's Irish, you're not Scots-Irish. Scots-Irish is from the six counties of the north of Ireland. It's where a long time ago they moved in the Scots to settle the uh, the wild and crazy Irish, forgetting that the Scots are even crazier. Uh, so, but that's where Campbell came from. So he would have considered himself Scottish, but Irish, uh, and there that's part of it. But also Barton W. Stone came from the Presbyterians once again, Scotland Presbyterian uh, Church is the Church of Scotland. So, I have stood on the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. Um, several times uh, outside St. Giles Cathedral, which is a home church of Presbyterians. And normally you can just walk in. It's right there in a tourist trap area uh, between the castle and, and, the, and the palace. So you can walk in. It's a beautiful thing to see. But when the Kirk, the Session Kirk meets, the leaders of the Kirk, the elders, they shut the doors and they all go in there in the closed session and they sort out things such as, you know, you know, women, does God really like them? Um, you know, gay people, <laughs> do they exist? Um, you know, baptism, you know, dry cleaning or submersion. You know, they, they settle all those things. And then they come out and they read the changes that they've made and the votes and such. That was the model that Campbell had, that Stone had. And so whenever they set up their churches, what did they do? Well, they had um, a little difference. They'd have a preaching elder and a ruling elder. And they would have, you know, specialist elders, but they would, these men, very, very male centric, would go into rooms, make decisions and lead the church, lead the Kirk. Well, that would, that was perfect for America because America was growing up um, you know, in, in, in a corporate way very quickly. And so uh, it wasn't long before churches, elderships very much looked like a board at Walmart, because they would go in and make the decisions. And in fact, completely um, made redundant the office of deacon because they did the work of the deacons. They did the, uh, you know, the color of the carpet. Who are we hiring and firing? 
you know, what Bible class literature are we going to use for VBS this year? You know, um, they, they did all of that. Well, what are deacons supposed to do? In Churches of Christ and, and growing up when I was, you made a man a deacon because he showed up for Wednesday night and, and you wanted to encourage him. Um, but you'd, and you'd give him a job, but he was had no authority. He couldn't yeah. do it. Zero. And so they would wander around um, the elders making the decisions. And the minister was given all of the responsibility and none of the authority. Um, and that is a poison pill that has killed our church. Churches of Christ are one of the most rapidly disappearing churches uh, among all American churches. They're graying out. Um, I, every every um, month I read the Christian Chronicle, which is a fine paper, by the way. Bobby Ross and Eric, they do a great job with it. Mm-hmm. But more and more ads for churches. You know, we need... We're a church in the middle of this massive city. We got 60 members and four elders, and we need a man's sound and doctrine to help us reach. And I'm going, and, and one this last month even said, we have a projector and we have, I, they were listing, we have a, we have, you know, a, a church van. And I'm going, well, who couldn't you snap that one up? Um, more, <laughs> more, 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 more and more people advertising because when it breaks oh. my heart, I mean, this, there, there was no reason for this, but the poison pill of the elders are going to rule the roost. I I used to really be uh, and, and speak against David Lipscomb because he taught very, very uh, firmly that elder was not an office, that it was just a manner of life. And now I believe he was probably right. Uh, I, I, and especially when I look at Jewish communities and their elders, I'm thinking, ah, uh, we, we corporatize this thing. Now, that's a very, very different perspective on an eldership than what we typically see, because as, as you just very, you put it very, very well there and explain it extremely well, this idea of an eldership is, it's an office, it's viewed as an office, and it's almost like a board of directors that makes the decisions and steers the church, and that is very, very different from a manner of life as Lipscomb described it. Would you mind just elucidating more about that, telling us more about that idea? Well, sure. In, in America, um, and, and by the way, America imports this. When, uh, when the missionaries go out, they take this message with them. So you can always, you can always tell where the Americans have been because you're in the middle of Africa and one guy's wearing a tattered sport coat. Uh, well, that's the minister and an, an American must have taught them this. Um, the you know, the people as office of an elder step in. It's a very and and these are noble and good people, but normally we give the job of elder to people who've been successful in business, mm-hmm. or risen to the top of their profession. So doctor so and so, principal of the school over here, head over a corporation, yeah. they know how to run a church. No, they really don't. A shepherd learned something very quickly. I, you know, Scotland is an amazing place. We have sheep. Um, in fact, I, I can still remember I was living there when the first cloning experiment took place. It was successful. And Dolly I, the sheep. Dolly I remember that. Sheep. And I can remember reading the paper and going, oh, good. More sheep. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we were going for. They have more sheep than people. You cannot drive sheep. You cannot make a decision for sheep. Sheep are the most idiotic, suicidal beings on the planet. Mm 
Um, if you get Amazon Prime, you ought to watch Clarkson's Farm. Jeremy Clarkson of Top Gear fame uh, is a professional buffoon. He's not nearly as dumb as why well, I hope he isn't as he makes himself to be on telly. But he starts a farm and decides to get some sheep. And you, I think every shepherd should watch it. Every every eldership should watch it. You try to drive them. You try to contain them. All you can do is gain their trust and then turn and walk and they'll follow you. I had, um, for 20 plus years, I flew about helping elderships understand this. And uh, I've slowed that down quite a bit. I'm going to be 65 in a month. Um, and, and you'll notice no gasp and no what? He can't be that old. Everybody knows that. They see the mic. <laughs> Um, so, well, I was going to say 33, but okay, well, we'll go with 65. Our, our next episode's on lying. Um, <laughs> and then the one following that situational ethics with Rahab. Exactly, exactly. In, some search, in some situations, I will have ethics. We um, must be led, and I've, I've spoken to elders, and, and I've had them complain to me. We've tried to start this ministry, I don't know how many times, and the people just aren't following and I looked at him and said, if you don't have a flock, you're not a shepherd. If they won't follow you, it's not them. You are either trying to lead them in a place they don't want to be and don't need to be, or they don't trust you to lead them. Mm -hmm. I think we need to find where are the sheep and we need to go where the sheep are and we need to go sit with them and we need to teach them to trust us. And so... You know, helping elders quit being elders and becoming shepherds is a, is really job one. Um, people, well, Patrick, go ahead. Let, let me ask you this real quick um, while we're on this point, because when you're talking, I can't help but think that most of the elderships, really, if if not all the elderships that I was aware of growing up and am aware of by and large, you know, there, there are some exceptions, but at least in the more of the mainstream element of the churches of Christ, it was exactly what you described. It was, it was the doctors, it was the lawyers, it were the, those who were on the school boards. Uh, it, you know, it were pretty much kind of the movers and shakers of that community and city. They were almost just seen as, okay, well, we're going to put them up as an elder. And you almost knew if they weren't an elder, they would soon become an elder because of their position in the community. And I saw so much control. And that's the word when someone asks me, well, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of elderships, at least in what I describe the mainstream churches of Christ, the first word I think of is control. Everything is it tended to be about control. How can we control this situation? How can we control these individuals? How can we make sure that 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 things are going the way that we want them to go? And it was it, very rarely did they really have a good pulse. And, and I can I speak very freely on this because I've had these same conversations with elderships when I worked with them. But very rarely did I feel like they even had a pulse on the congregation. They became either the complaint department. They became they became the uh, the managers who were trying to make the rich happy because they realized that they had a big building and that building uh, they owed a lot of money. And if they made the the wrong people upset, well, where, where are we going to get the money to continue to fund this you know, multi-million dollar building? So you have all of those factors that go into it. And this kind of ties back into what we were talking about earlier, what I call the, the institutionalized church. But 
it's ran more like a business and not just more like a business. It is ran exactly like a business. And that's why uh, I think at least you have these men who are put in place because they think, well, hey, they're successful in all these other business ventures. Let's put them up as an elder because, hey, the church is just another business. So let's be successful and put these successful men up there. Has that been your experience as well? Well, absolutely. And by the way, the listeners that are out there need to know this. We're speaking of a, of a poison pill in the Church of Christ system. But almost every religion has a deep state controlling element. Jehovah's Witnesses, Scientologists, all the way, you know, the Catholics have their own curia, their own college of cardinals and the like that are below the surface. They all have these. The thing is that we kept claiming we were the original New Testament model when we had actually brought this in from the Scots. We'd brought it in from uh, really, the Churches of Christ are very, very Catholic in their view mm-hmm. of sacramental salvation, You know, going through the particular steps to achieve salvation. And, it, and it, if I'd heard that, let's say, 40 years ago, I would have been offended. Um, but it, this has been a journey of humility and of understanding, all right, what, what are we trying to accomplish here? I've been asked, for example, that was one of the big questions when we first started uh, Our Safe Harbor, was people said, are you guys going to form an eldership? And I said, no. And they said, why not? And I said, well, I was raised to call Bible things by Bible names. Do you remember that one? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and the word eldership's not in there. Um, neither is worship service. And you know, by the time you start rattling off the things that aren't in there, people are hiccuping. Um, it's difficult. And I'm sweating a little bit. That's right. And and you're you're exactly correct, Kevin. Uh, we don't we don't do all the commands. I mean, um, I guess the holy kiss concept was a bad idea anyway with COVID, but we 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 separate these things and we make an Americanized version of religion mm-hmm. and our kids aren't buying it. The kids the kids are upset. I get emails from young people but also from people in their 80s that have had questions their whole life they weren't allowed to ask. But they'll say, well, listen, I, I'm, I'm told if I go and sing these songs and don't clap, and if I do this, that, and the other, then I'm a good Christian. But I'm also, we're not going to let a, a gay person in. We're not going to let a woman do an announcement. We're not going to let a, and they, you know, they'll say, well, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't think that's fair and just. Mm-hmm. Well, then the shame comes down. Well, then who are you to question God? You see, there's the issue. Uh, we think people are questioning God. They're not. They're questioning us, and yeah. we're not Him. And that's, I raised my kids with the two laws of the universe. Number one, there is a God. Number two, you're not Him. <laughs> Learn this: you are the create. You are the creature, not the creator. You are not in charge. Well, and what you just said, I think, is is that's one of the things that we tend to conflate is. This idea that if someone disagrees with me, well, then they're disagreeing with God. I know that's the perspective that I had for a very, very long time because I had it all figured out. I mean, I could pull up book, chapter, and verse for everything I believed from the eldership, even though you'll be hard-pressed to find you know, more than a small group of people that would agree on what those qualifications even mean. 
to the cup, to instrumental music, to dancing. And you had mentioned dancing earlier. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. One of the first times I ever got in trouble as a congregational teacher is I was asked to speak at a young people's meeting on dancing. And like you, I did research on lasciviousness and what it was, what it wasn't. And I enjoyed your uh, Who Told You About Dancing episode, by the way. That was a great one. And I got up there and talked about dancing and how that was a form of worship for the for the Jews, how that was something that children do just naturally. It's it's Im- embedded within them and they, you know, express themselves through that. And all of that's fine and good. But there are some types of dancing that can be lascivious. There are some types of dancing that can be erotic and should be avoided. And I got called out on the curtain for it I, or called out on the carpet for it. I was it. it I, that was the first time I had ever been strongly reprimanded and I was confused. I was like, well, how can you like do that? It, it's it, it's pretty plain. Well, no, all dancing sin, all dancing is wrong. I'm like, but, but where are you getting that? Yeah. And it's very similar to the eldership, the the church that. I married into because I married into the one cup church. I used to be Pentecostal before that. And like you, I had a, a previous, a previous, uh, brief well, Pentecostal to one cup. Yeah. That's, that's quite the jump. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, but the, the church that I had married into, there was, there was a, a short gap of agnosticism there and atheism there as well. And like you science, particularly biological science brought me back around. So I'm, I'm amazed at how our stories overlap. That being said, the church that my wife attended and that my in-laws attended for a very long time until we closed the doors and they moved north up to Edmond. I love my in-laws and got a great relationship with them. Even through this season of, of spiritual change, they're still very, very loving. Even though we have some discussions that can get intense, it's still a very, we still have a very good relationship, but the church that we were a part of came about over a split over the eldership. And as convinced as we were in our particular location as to what those qualifications meant, the people that we had split from were just as convinced in their minds over what the qualifications meant. Mm -hmm. And they had plenty of scripture to back up their perspective. We had plenty of scripture to back up our perspective. And it's so interesting to know that this is all predicated and based upon just a flawed presupposition of what the eldership is. Well, Go ahead, brother. Well, no, I, I was just gonna. Sorry, you, you you were going on a roll there. I was I was just gonna ask uh, Patrick another question. But go go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say it's it's so interesting whenever you look at this as more of a relational thing and you liken it to shepherding and you liken it to the nature of sheep. The idiom, as it relates to being a shepherd, in and of itself means that sheep are involved with this idiom somehow, or their behavior is involved with this idiom somehow. And whenever you contextualize that what th- this other perspective of this being something that you do that you gain trust and you lead and these simply are guidelines of kingdom living and of holy living that may change from place to place as you mentioned with Timothy and with Titus and that really throws a whole new light on this concept of what the office if there even is one of an eldership actually is well, that's all I was going to say so okay yeah and and I just to go along with what Lee's saying, so I, I want to kind of back up because for our audience, they may be thinking, okay, so what are you saying then about the qualifications of elders? You know, do, do they not exist today? Do they not apply to us? And I, I first want to reiterate uh, the point you brought up because I think it's a fantastic point that when you compare what Paul wrote to Timothy 
in Ephesus and what he wrote to Titus in Crete, those are not the same list. And we don't have time to go through and parse out all of these, but you know, I, I just wanted to bring up a few more of these because to Tim, these are things that he told Timothy that are in Titus uh, that a, that a shepherd should be respectable, gentle, not a new convert, and has a good reputation in the community. None of those things are mentioned in Titus. Not a single one of those things. Um, and then when you read Titus' list, you have uh, that they're they're to be a good steward, not self willed. Uh, they love they love to do good. They're just or upright, and they're devout and holy. Those specific things are never mentioned when Paul is giving the list to Timothy. And so kind of the knee-jerk reaction is, well, yeah, but they were probably communicating with each other. And this is this was the approach I took for many years. Well, I know those lists aren't identical, but that's why we have the Bible. And the totality of God's word, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, right? The, the totality of God's word is truth. And so we take what Paul wrote to Timothy and what Paul wrote to Titus, and we put all those lists, we, we kind of combine that list, and we have to make sure that the whoever we're trying to, quote unquote, install as an elder meets all those qualifications. And so my, my question to you would be, someone who argues that way, and I'm not talking about someone who's arguing for argument's sake, but I'm talking about genuine seekers. They were taught to read the Bible this way. What would your response be to that? Well, first of all, if if we are, are supposed to combine those lists to be faithful to God, when did Titus know that? <laughs> when did Timothy know that? And for the first 1,400, 1,500 years of the church, when did anybody know that when they couldn't own a scripture? Yeah, couldn't read it if they did. Couldn't read it. <laughs> they would only get, they would learn from the stained glass windows some of the stories. They would learn from morality plays. Um, yeah, they would learn from some sermons and some songs. They sang great theology, by the way. Uh, just, they would learn bits and pieces where all of those people lost. You know, I, I was taught the myth of there was always this remnant that looked just like us. Well, that's historic nonsense. And it never, it's not necessary. That's just another form of apostolic succession. If we're saved by our patriarchal lineage, we don't need Jesus. What we need is Jesus. And we need to know Jesus. And Paul himself said he was happy to know nothing except Jesus and him crucified. And who am I to, to go against that? Think about the way they use scripture. For example, every Jew knew that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 don't match up very well, mm -hmm. but that didn't bother them because they weren't trying for precision. Paul in Romans talks about Adam in Adam. Adam's the one who sinned and through Adam we all die. Well, when he's trying to, to wrestle down some, some yelling women, uh, he tells you know Timothy, well, Eve sinned first, so out of her came this. And I'm going, all right, Paul, one of these days, somebody's going to read the other book. <laughs> and they're going to say, which one is it? Well, you know something? It was, it was both because he was making a point. Mm -hmm. And that's one of those things I always say is, let, let the point of the story be the point of the story. You know, if you're talking about the flood of Noah and you have to figure out how many square feet a cougar needs, you've missed the point of the story. Uh, we, we well, the one, no, and I, I was just going to say that I, I think that 
what you're saying is so vital because when we when we approach the New Testament as a as well, first of all, if, when we approach the New Testament as one book, we're already in trouble. And especially when we approach it as one book that's supposed to always say the exact same thing on every single issue. Right. And what you're saying about the eldership is no that that is a point that is easy to identify once it's been pointed out, right? But that's something that sometimes goes. Uh, it, it kind of just flies under the radar because when we really think about this, we're like, okay, well, as you pointed out, when when did when when would Titus and when would all of the Christians at Crete when would they have known about the other list right. and 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 vice versa? And furthermore, Paul, and this is a point I I try to make all the time on this program just to get our listeners used to to how the New Testament's written. Paul himself oftentimes not only gives different but conflicting instructions to different churches. And when I say conflicting, it conflicts with each other, but yeah. it's it's best for the situation. Yes. And so Paul is very situational. I mean, he'll tell, you know, he'll he'll tell the uh the church in Ephesus, you need to remarry if you're a widow. Do, you know, you need to. Then he'll then he'll turn around and tell the church at Corinth, uh, no, don't get remarried. You don't need to. And I mean, there's so many examples. Don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. You can eat meat sacrificed to idols. Don't celebrate Jewish holidays. You can celebrate holidays. That helped me the most when I tried to harmonize everything in that. Even just Paul wrote the same individual. If, if we believe Paul wrote all of the letters in the New Testament, which I think that's debatable, but even if we believe he did, what we have is not a linear uh, idea or ideology on all these issues, we see Paul being very situational to to who he's speaking with, the actual uh, culture, and not just culture as far as the time period, but also different geographical cultures and what they're dealing with. And so um, I, I just think that that's such a brilliant point that you brought up because, as you pointed out, up until three, four hundred years ago, um, even people, well, First of all, the first 500 years, no one would have even had the New Testament as we have it in one as one uh, volume. And not even until three or 400 years could people even read it for themselves. <laughs> and, and so I so I really appreciate you addressing that. So with that said, because um, I'm trying to think of questions we've been asked. We've been asked a lot of questions when we have brought up elders in passing. And I want to make sure we're just at least kind of addressing some of these. Um, so with that said, I wanted to, to ask you this very quickly. How then do you believe we should understand the qualifications of elders? Do they have any benefit at all for us today when we are considering the role of a shepherd? Should we turn to those passages and say, well, there is at least some principle here, some perhaps even the spirit of these commands that we can somewhat apply to our situation today? Or do we just completely dismiss them and say, well, you know, it worked for that that time, but that's really not what we need to be looking for. Well, it's it, I'll take the last bit there. Um, it could very well be that God wants to do something different now. And why wouldn't he be allowed to? Uh, when you, the um, Who told you about, uh, starting in January, we're going to take a look at how the Bible came together. And it's uh, how it is a, a, a flowing river, and it is not something set. For example, with my relatives who fought me, one of the questions I'll ask them is, what does God think about Moabites? Well, 
in this passage, it says that a Moabite cannot come to the temple to the 10th generation. But over here, a few chapters later, he tells the Israelites, they, men, they have to offer marriage to these Moabite women. Um, so they're out of the temple for 10 generations. You know, what's going on there? And then we find Ruth. And Ruth's a Moabitess, and yet she's one of Jesus's grandmamas. Or how about this? One of the, the people at Lipscomb Summer Celebration asked me to come and speak, and they said, we're going to do the book of Joshua. And I was going, no, 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 no. <laughs> and, uh, they, uh, but but they, they shoved me in. Right before I got up, they, um, they, uh, they announced that Leonard Allen was there and joining the faculty. And I said, I turned to my wife, and I said, great. Next is going to be, and there's the Apostle Paul. Um, so I stood up. <laughs> Yeah, the only person without theological um, credentials at all, just a neuroscience guy, is going to stand up and have a word now. Uh, and they, they assigned me, and you knew they would, Rahab. Yeah. So I stood up and said, um, here's the flow of the story. Uh, they, God said, take it. So they sent in spies. Next scene, the spies are at a brothel. Okay. <laughs> we, we as spies are wont to do. Yeah, yes, <laughs> as one does. Um there, there's no decision tree, so we don't know how they got there. The men in the brothel tell the madam, if you lie, God will bless you. She did, and he did. Thank you for coming to VBS. <laughs> and so, but then the thing is, the next scene, the next time you see her name mentioned, she and her family live outside the camp. You know, They were told to be all destroyed, but no, but they can't come in. The next time her name is mentioned, she's married to a Jewish man named Solomona. The next time she's mentioned, she's one of Jesus's grandmothers. It's almost as if God is saying, you think you know what I said, but you don't. When I say something, it doesn't divide. When I say something, it brings in the very people you despised and thought were unworthy to come into the room. And that, that moral arc bends toward Christ and must always be there. So what do we do? What do we do? I, and people said, well, you're not going to have elders. And are you just going to run it as a dictator? I've been married for 42 years. I gave <laughs> up on trying to be a dictator a long time ago. Amen, brother. I, uh, I married up and that's what she tells me. And so I, 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 I have certain rules I follow. No, I have a team. It is an ill-defined team. It is who are the people that show up to do the work, male, female, young or old. And we don't have closed doors meetings. We, we tell people, hey, we're all going to meet at a restaurant and just talk. Or we're uh, like this Sunday, we, we're calling it Friendsgiving because you have to have a reason to set aside the rules on gluttony. And so we're going <laughs> we're gonna, to we're gonna have a worship and then we're going to uh, stay at the soundstage. Uh, they, he has a commercial kitchen down there too. And we're going to have a, like a Thanksgiving with each other and do songs and such. But there, once again, what are your ideas? Men and women, old and young. And I, in my ministry experience, all of the best programs and ideas came from the pew, not the pulpit. And so I'm open to the wisdom of the room. And they're not shy sending me emails saying, I think we should do this. I think we should do that. Now, I have an ultimate responsibility at our safe harbor because it's, the camera's on me every Sunday. But I don't walk around swaggering about that because 
that's that's a you know I have the only job that God wrote a warning label on, so I need to be very careful. I am a pastor, but so are a lot of these men and women that are pastoring. They're pastoring in their lives, and this is going to come back, Lee, to something you've brought up a couple times. These are not boxes to be ticked to allow you into the room to make decisions. These are moral, ethical, and characterological targets that he wants all of us to, to strive for. He wants us to organize our lives so that we have the best chance at having believing children, so that we are, we are the kind of people nobody, nobody has a word to say against us. So that, you know, that's who he wants us to be because that's what Jesus looked like. And they had to pay people to lie about Jesus. Yeah. And that whole thing about Jesus wouldn't qualify to be an elder, um, nor would Paul, which I find. That's ironic. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and yet they are the leaders. You know, Jesus is the leader, but Paul certainly a pastor of the church. He still pastors through his letters. Um, whoever wrote Hebrews is pastoring. It, you know, I know the, the case could be made for Barnabas, but man, I hope it's Priscilla because I just, <laughs> I just, I just wanted to be. It's, yeah. it's one of those stories I can't prove. I just want it to be, so I'm just going to believe in it anyway. The, um, I want to be. I want to disappear, Lee and Kevin. I don't want anybody to think about me after I leave the room. I want, it, I want them to see less of me and more of Jesus every day of my life. Now, I foul that up by saying stupid things and doing stupid things and for failing to speak or act when I should. Love that old Episcopalian prayer that asks God to forgive us for we have done the things we ought not to have done and we have not done the things we have ought to have done. I love that prayer. Um, I'm not a, a natural gifted prayer, and so I don't mind books of prayer. They give me ideas. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm reading the God yeah. and all the rest of this is on page 27. Hang on. You know, <laughs> but, and it's, it's a, you know, spirituality can be a struggle for me. I don't really get, you know, people say, let's go do a silent retreat. No, I can do that here. Thanks. Save <laughs> I, but I want to be the kind of person that is known for smiling at people and loving them. I mean, I was asked, for example, of course, they're going to do this. Several people. Well, are you guys accepting lesbians and gays? Do you have, well, or do you have any lesbian and gay members? I said, we don't know. Um, people are watching from all over the world. So we, we don't, we don't tell them, turn that off. Don't you, if you're gay, turn off that, that <laughs> we don't do that. And so somebody said, well, then, well, then, um, you know, are you going to preach against them? And I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not. Jesus didn't either. What I'm going to do is talk to about loving your neighbor, loving God, loving each other, because I trust God to sort it out. Yeah. And by the way, I think Kevin knows this because he's followed me around for a while. I'm a hopeful universalist. Mm -hmm. I'm really this close to being a universalist. The more I'm right there with you, man. Yeah. I I just cannot see, (laughs) you know, and the six part series on hell should have been a clue. Um, somebody, a slight clue, yeah. Yeah, somebody wrote me today and they said, are you going to do a series on heaven? And I was thinking, you know, not so much because I don't know anything about it. Um, 
everything in Revelation is a bunch of jewels and and measuring walls, and I'm not really sure that's it. And it's not going to be clouds and harps. I don't know where we got that from. It does actually seem to be busy. Um, it seems you know it's not an eternal worship service, so yay. Um, yeah. <laughs> I can remember. Do you remember? You're too young. You're babies. There used to be in America singings where the area churches would come together and sing in an afternoon because going to church twice on a day was just not enough. So you would cram into these pews and you'd be staring ahead. And if you're a young boy like I was, you'd be facing sticks with funeral fan pictures. Yeah, no, um, I remember. Oh, my goodness. The, do you remember the Diana singing? Or have you ever heard of that before? It was a, it's a huge singing uh, no, within no, the I... Churches of Christ. But yeah, it was all night. It was actually three days. It was Friday through Sunday, all night, day and night. And, and, and hence pur- purgatory. If that was heaven, yeah, it would be hell. So right. yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm just kidding, people. I, I remember okay. sitting there with my Wii Sport coat and tie on because God wouldn't listen to you otherwise. And, and, and we're all crowded in there while we're singing about blood and fountains of it gushing up. And my mom turns to my dad and she says, you know, I'm right between them. And she goes, oh, Bill, don't you think this is what heaven will be like? And I'm going, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what are my options? You know, can I, can I choose limbo? Limbo's not nice. Um, I hear good things about limbo. But in, um, and to me, heaven is whatever God wants it to be. And I'm aware, I almost all of my minister friends in the Churches of Christ believe in the redeemed earth. Um, you know, following N.T. Wright, John Mark Hicks, and, and uh, Bobby Valentine, really great people that I really admire, by the way. I don't care. As a person in science, I have physics issues with it being the redeemed earth. Um, and that where you're going to put us, um, there are a lot of us, you're going to stack us up. And plus, I <laughs> I see physics ending when Jesus returns. I'm just real quick. Time shall be no more. Uh, time is yep. through space. Jesus comes in the cloud, but every eye shall see him. We live on a ball. <laughs> you know, well, there's no such thing as a, as round when physics ends, you know? And so I, I see, I see a lot of room for God to play with heaven. So I'm just going to let him surprise me like he wants to. I'm in Daniel. And in John and with Paul, all three of them saw things that they said, not allowed to talk about. And I'm going, cool. It's going to be a surprise. Gonna and it's going to be a pleasant surprise. And, yeah. and one of the things you mentioned, just kind of tongue in cheek, is that your dad is probably pretty surprised about heaven himself. And I, I think we all are. And, and this whole idea about heaven lends itself to this, just to this idea and this concept that letting go of certainty, whether it's about heaven, whether it's about hell, and I'm not quite a hopeful universalist left. I'm definitely trending that direction, though. So, well, but I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But uh, you know, stay tuned because we're going to do a lot of Monday morning messages in this next year about things like that. So, well, I'm um, really I, looking I, forward to them. If you go to the YouTube channel, there's a live worship, and that's an hour and a bit. And then on the Wednesday, there's a Bible class, and that's usually 35, 45 minutes because that's the way Paul did it. Um, actually, Paul had some <laughs> sentences that went that long. Uh, then, then I kept you know, kept wanting him not to buy a vowel, just punctuation would help. Um, but Monday morning messages tend to be 15 minutes. So if you're not willing to jump in, you can stick your toe in there. And, uh, and again, science guy, I'm going to come at Scripture a bit more bluntly. And because I have had to say I was wrong so many times in my life, 
I am comfortable having a look and saying, this is what it says and this it, it is not saying. Yeah. So, um, you know, follow, follow the journey. You don't have to agree. And again, with the, the, the uh, gay and lesbian thing, I'll just, I'll bring that up and, and saying, I don't know. I don't know what God's going to do. What I do know is this. I see a lot of heterosexual people ruining marriage faster than gay people ever could. Yeah. I see, I see domestic violence. I see um, sexual crimes in the church. I don't think we're in a position to pick up rocks against anybody. Yeah. Let's just talk about Jesus and let the shepherd or the angels. Do you remember the dragnet story? God throws uh, the, the, the dragnet comes out. He brings in fish of all kinds. The angels sort. The fish never get to form communities and committees to decide which fish are in the net. Let's let God do this. Well, Patrick, so much of this, I think, comes back to our expectations of the Bible and the way that we read the Bible, what we think the Bible is supposed to do for us, um, how we relate to the Bible. And, And that's something Lee and I have talked about so much because my views have changed on, I won't say everything, but it's changed on so many things. Um, the way that I understand faith, even the way who God is, the God that I now serve is a very different God than I under that I understood uh, him, her, it, what, whatever we want to describe God as. I think that even that's accommodative language during a patriarchal time, but that's a different conversation for another time. Mm-hmm. But, but the point is, is that the the relationship of of God uh, that I now have is really predicated on Jesus Christ. Um, I, I look at the his, historicity of Jesus. I look at the compassion that Jesus had. And one of the the biggest things that convinced me of all of this is simply reading the Bible through the ancient assumptions that they had during that time and understanding that the Bible is a book that was written with an ancient worldview. And we acknowledge that on many issues today. We will say, well, this is this is uh, why they had slaves, and this is why there was polygamy. And, and I'm not talking just about the Old Testament, because we read about slavery in the New Testament, which is much more than indentured servitude. I mean, you, you get into what Peter has to say about suffering abuse. That's not an employee-employee relationship. Right. Um, and so same thing with even so uh, when, when it talks, when, we get into marriage and the expectation that both Paul and Peter have um, for, for women and what they believe that they should do. And, and even a lot of what, what I would deem as progressives have tried to read into the text, even things that are not there. And I have had a conversation with someone. They said, well, you're just rewriting the Bible. I said, no, no, no. I said, I, I don't look at the Bible and say that, that Paul um, believed some of the things that I believe in today because I I don't I don't uh, I don't believe in a three tiered universe. Paul did, <laughs> and Paul was wrong, <laughs> and 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 ca- being able to call out some of these things and say, but this was written during a time period that was much different from us. It doesn't mean it wasn't inspired. It just means we have to 
reinterpret and redefine what inspiration is based upon how the Bible presents itself instead of having a loaded definition of what inspiration is and then trying to cherry pick certain Bible verses to fit that definition that we already have in mind. But I'm, I'm bringing all that up. I don't mean to get on a soapbox there, but I just bring all that up because it is very hard Lee and I have found this to be true. It's very hard now to have conversations at times with people on these issues because they are approaching the Bible and reading the Bible and not even interpreting the Bible differently. Because by and large, I agree probably um, with most of the conservative brethren in the churches of Christ on the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. The interpretation is not the difference. It's how we relate to that, uh, to those texts and those instructions. It's what we expect and how we're applying those. That's where the difference lies. And it just seems that there are so many conversations today where like two ships are passing in the night and they're missing each other because one's wanting to say, well, the Bible says this. And the other says, well, I agree that the Bible says that, but the Bible also says women don't need to wear golden pearls and your wife's wearing golden pearls. But yet, you don't have a problem with that. And, you know, the Bible says that women should have head coverings and Lee's done a whole episode on that. <laughs> and there's all, which there are some brethren who still argue for that today. No. So mm. I, I think that this, any conversation like this, when people want to go straight to, well, what about elders? It, it seems that first of all, we've got to understand how convoluted uh, the Bible is when we take a direct approach. <laughs> and, and exactly. And I, I remember preachers taught us that um, you know, when the, the donkey turned, and I, I'm, I hate to use the word donkey as a Scott after Shrek, but and I, like, I like the old word better, uh, the, but every time it, it makes the older women swoon a bit. Uh, when the donkey spoke to Balaam, the preachers would say the donkey didn't get to decide what to say. God put the words in, and that's how the Bible was written. And I'm going, wait a minute. Paul, 1 Corinthians 1. And he said, I'm so glad I didn't baptize any of you. Well, except for this one and that one. And if there were any others, I forget about it. Yeah. yeah. Like, God didn't forget. It's just, we, we, we put our expectations upon a book that was never meant to bear them. It was meant yeah. to introduce us to God. And I want to bring this back to David Lipscomb, if I could, because um, I know people can't listen forever. Um, back when I hired a preaching intern that was a woman, and she did a fantastic job, by the way. And she still serves uh, leading in ministry. Now, is that Lauren? Is that who that is? Yes. She's out in California now, doing well. Um, th there was um, a video taken, and, which was fine. And uh, I was interviewed. And they, they, they asked me something. And I said, I, I no longer read Jesus through Paul. I read Paul through Jesus. Yeah. I was called a heretic by the um, the editor of Gospel Advocate, and and by the way, I thought exactly what you're thinking. That's still out there, but yes, it is. And and twice he's called me that. Um, so I just sent in. I got that from David Lipscomb, who said when we read Paul, we can be confused, and we can not understand what's going on. We need to always remember that Paul was just trying to take the reality of Jesus and apply it to every situation he faced. But if that does not um, soothe our soul and we're still confused, we ought to just go back and just look at Jesus. 
Yeah, well, and, and that's what the Mount of Transfiguration, I believe, teaches us, right? I mean, Peter yeah. wanted to put Moses and Elijah on equal authority as as Jesus. And and God says, No, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. You don't, you don't, you don't read um uh Jesus through the Old Testament. You read the Old Testament through Jesus. And yet we do the same thing today. We're just like Peter, where instead of putting Moses and Elijah up on the Mount of Transfiguration, um are, are creating these tabernacles. We're putting Paul and Peter and uh, some of these other apostles up there and saying, oh, but they're on equal footing as Jesus. No, they're not. God already told us they're not. And um, I think we see Paul alluding back to that when he's trying to say, well, I'm looking back to Jesus, trying to understand what Jesus would do in this situation. And so we, um, we don't put an eldership between us and God. We don't allow them to be on the mountain making the decisions. Rather, Elders live among us, with us. We get used to their voices. Um, in Scotland, whenever the, the, the Land Rovers would go out into the fields, the sheep actually know the tune of the Land Rover that belongs to them, that shepherd. And it's amazing how they'll just start separating and follow the shepherd because they're in the people, among the people, with the people, never separated. And therefore, the sheep know where to run. They, and be the be the kind of people that other people can run to, not from. I think that's a beautiful summation of a more Christocentric perspective on what an eldership can be and even should be. I think that's a really good perspective to take. And whenever that perspective is taken, you don't have to worry about arguments about what faithful children means. Does it mean they live at, they're faithful when they live at home, whenever they leave the home? Does it mean one child can a man be an elder if he has, you know, more than, or just only one child? Does he have to have more? What is that? It eliminates all of those arguments and those divisions and that animosity and that strife that can emanate from that division. Well, brother, this has been an amazing conversation. I looked at the time and it's we've gone for an hour and 20 minutes and it does not feel like that. This has been such a fun conversation. And we, we've solved the perennial problem of, of what it means and, and what an, a scriptural eldership should look like. We've solved it for all time. We've, we've fully we answered every question. We've every answered every question. question. It's all been taken care of forever and ever. We'll never need to talk about it again. No, Brother Patrick, thank you so much for taking time to come on our, our little program. And as we get ready to draw this to a close, um, we always give the floor over to our guests to promote whatever it is you want to promote, your website, your church, your YouTube channel whatever that is let our folks know about it right here and if you would email me whenever we're done recording and i'll get those links posted in the show notes so that whenever it goes live people can click on it and get to it very easily so please go ahead and shamelessly plug whatever it is you would like to i have i have nothing to sell and wouldn't tell you about it if i did but if you would like to know more about our safe harbor our safe will show you the website and the links there will take you over to YouTube, Vimeo, or the like, whatever your viewing uh, preference platform would be. Uh, you can go to YouTube, but it's Our Safe Harbor Church, uh, and you'll find all of everything that we do is free. We do not copyright. We refuse to. Um, if um, if I ever get the time to write some books, they might charge you at the you know, at the printers or publishers, but I'm not interested in that. It is. Um, Everything I do, I am plagiarizing from a bunch of people who wrote about Jesus. 
<laughs> so it's a little, it'd be, a, I, I don't feel good about, you know, jumping on that wagon. Instead, I just want to say the only thing I have to push is Jesus. You never have to agree with me, but you are going to live with me for eternity because Jesus is going to save you as well as he's going to save me. And that's the good news. And that is good news indeed. Well, brother, once again, thank you so much for coming on. And I echo what Kevin said earlier. We definitely want to have you back on as a guest in the future. We would love to have further conversations with you about just a wide variety of topics and maybe even just getting on and spitballing sometime with no agenda whatsoever and just seeing where the conversation goes. That could be a lot of fun. That's good. All to right. Our- bless. To our listeners, we thank you all so much. We love each and every one of you. Please share this podcast far and wide. We have grown. We've reached 42,000 downloads as of uh, this recording. So we appreciate it. We're growing. And our our listener group on Facebook, our community is growing as well. Invite your friends to that. If you're not part of it already, just search for the Exploring Faith, Pursuing Grace discussion board on Facebook. You'll find it. We do ask some questions of folks just to keep uh, the ne'er-do-wells out that may want to cause trouble. Uh, That being said, everybody gets a chance. We'd love to have you. Please give us that five-star review on iTunes or whatever platform you use to consume this podcast. Share it far and wide. We thank you all, we love you all, and we wish you all a good night.